Well, as we are just seeking to grow in sound doctrine, we've been working through the London Baptist Confession as a tool to guide us in a kind of a systematic theology. And uh, my kids keep asking me now, how many chapters are there? Um, We're in chapter 25. And uh, according to my notes, this is our 78th week. Um, Just slowly by slowly, looking at some of the attributes of God, looking at his providence. And uh, we come to chapter 25. And to me, this is a weak chapter in our confession. I, there's been so many chapters where we read it and I'm just standing in awe of how amazing God is and the wisdom that he gave men to articulate and to disseminate truth into such clear words that draw a line in sand and we get to this passage or this, this chapter and I feel like Maybe it's the culture we live in where we have to articulate and marriage is really under attack. But I feel like it's really weak. Again, it's a reminder that we do not stand upon a confession. Um, We stand on scripture. Uh, We do hold to the confession saying we believe it disseminates what we believe as a doctrinal conviction. But it is not scripture and the confession. It is scripture alone. That we stand on. But just in, in studying it, boy, there's a lot that I would like to add to the confession. And, and our, our teaching isn't strictly the confession, but um, again, it's a, a place that we're, we're caused today in our culture to really think and to articulate things that uh, maybe back in the 1600s, it wasn't quite under attack. Genesis 2.24, over the next couple weeks, I encourage you to memorize it. Because if you memorize it, you actually memorize another verse. Matthew 19.4.5, because it's the same verse quoted. Uh, So, hey kids, if you ever want to memorize two verses at one time, this is how to do it. And uh, uh, look at the verse with me on the screen. Genesis 2.24, let's read it together. Therefore... A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Sorry, the scripture reference is wrong, but it is Genesis 2.24. We see from the opening pages of scripture, in the beginning, God created. He created uh, the, the light. He created darkness. He separated them. He created the earth. It was without form and void. And each day we see his handiwork upon display. And at the end of each day, what does it say? And God saw what he made and it was good. And then we get at the creation of man and we see, and it was very good. But then it says, it is not good the man should be alone. We see God in Genesis 2, really performed the first marriage, bringing Adam and Eve together. Look at how the confession states this in paragraph 1. Marriage is to be between one man and one woman. Neither is it lawful for any man to have more than one wife, nor for any woman to have more than one husband at the same time. Uh, While we're there, look at paragraph 2. 
marriage was ordained for the mutual help of a husband and wife, for the increase of mankind with a legitimate issue, and the preventing of uncleanness. One of the things that the confession does not do is it doesn't give a clear definition of what is marriage. Andreas Kostenberger defines marriage this way. Marriage is a covenant, a sacred bond between a man and a woman instituted by and publicly entered into before God and normally consummated by sexual intercourse. Jay Adams Kind of the uh, the abbreviated definition calls marriage a covenant of companionship. Notice both of those use the word covenant. Often we think today of marriage being a contract. You uphold your end of the deal and then I will uphold my end of the deal. We have agreed terms that if you don't fulfill your end, it's null and void. Sometimes called divorce and irreconcilable differences. We see this idea of covenant not being something that man has put upon uh, marriage, but God himself speaking through Malachi says, Yet you say, for what reason? Malachi 2.14. Because the Lord has been witnesses, or has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Covenant is one that we see the sacred bond that is between a man and a woman, but also between them and God. Again, in the idea of the oaths that we looked at a few weeks ago, the oaths and vows, we see that this is that which is the vow that we see that is placed before God. Now, we see the limits put upon the definition of marriage. Marriage is not... To be defined however we want. It is to be one man and one woman. It is to be, to throw out a a bigger term, monogamous. Matthew 19.5, we see Genesis 2 quoted, And they said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. The four become one? No. The two. We see one man, one woman. From God's design, from the beginning of creation. How can a man be one flesh with more than one woman and vice versa? There seems to be a a bit of a a cross section of of some culture that kind of fights against this. And we, we... scratch our heads, but we understand that we have to keep going back and say, we don't define, culture doesn't define, scripture must define. In setting, I I came across an article of of a Hindu, and they went as far to say that it is unethical to have children. Because they they say, well, how can we loving say, we'll bring somebody into a world where cancer has such a high rate. How is that the most loving thing to do? But notice the thinking is, we start at this end and then come backwards, but we must always begin with Scripture. How does Scripture define it? There are two 
No longer two, but they are one flesh. As the next verse, Matthew 19, 6 says, Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. We believe in the permanency of marriage. Think of the marriage, the, the, um, the vows, till death do us part. There's no little exception clause in that. And as a church, we hold to the permanency of marriage. We, we believe because of the glory of God, we must press on to the permanency of marriage. We, we can't go into that completely, but if you want to hear a little bit more or go back, um, last August uh, in uh, Luke 16, when we were on that topic, we, we taught on that to show how we hold to the permanency of marriage. But it is between one man and one woman. It is monogamous. And it is to be one man and one woman. It is to be a male-female relationship. Not a homosexual relationship. Notice throughout Scripture again and again and again, the man shall leave his father and and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. We see throughout Scripture that anything other than that is a distortion of what God has created and as Leviticus 20 and 18 called an abomination. But again, we, if we start with culture, we end up wherever we want. But we always have to go back to what does the scriptures say. Because God created it. God controls and determines what it is. And as we see throughout the creation order, what God creates, he creates it good and then what man distorts and what culture elevates as good it actually is not good when we begin to question when we begin to fight against and we see an attack upon the definition of marriage it's actually an attack upon the good character of our god to say what he created was not good enough, that we as man in our own image can create something better. We don't trust God to be that gracious heavenly father. Well, what is the purpose or the purposes of marriage? The Roman Catholic Church would say that there's only one purpose of marriage, procreation. But biblically, we understand that there are multiples. And and we've got four here. There's three in the confession. I added another one. I, I mean, we could add others and kind of dice it a little bit differently. Number one, the first purpose of marriage, a mutual help or companionship. <clears throat> the confession states uh, that marriage was ordained for the mutual help of the husband and wife. What was the title of woman. She was to be his help meet, which tells us that there was a problem, that man needed something. Genesis 2.18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Other translations use suitable to him, fitting that God would take a man and a woman and bring us together. And as different as we are, we're created to work together in beautiful picture of how God has created it. It is a mutual help and companionship. The wife is called the weaker vessel. Just as the man shouldn't be alone, God created a wife. A wife needs help as well. 
So there's a mutual aspect there. Yes, we understand that the second purpose of marriage is procreation. God said, then God blessed them, Genesis 1.28. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. For the keeping of a people and a society, it is an aspect of marriage. For childbearing is the only place, marriage is the only place that childbearing it was designed by God to take place. It was not to take place outside the union of a husband and wife. We see throughout the Old Testament a thing called a mystery. And the third purpose of, and I added this one just because of the overarching beauty of it, is the display of the believer's union with Christ. That the marriage is a picture of Christ and the church, as we see in Ephesians chapter 5. But then, the third reason, though I put four here, the end of paragraph 2 in the confession, preventing of of uncleanness, or you could say immorality. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 2, nevertheless, Because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. In those same instructions there in 1 Corinthians 7, speaks of the the woman who is a widow, and if she burns, to have her to marry, to not be in a state where she can be uh, attacked by by our, 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 our adversary to fall into temptation. That God has created the beauty of marriage To protect us from immorality. To see how God has created marriage and the way he's created it to be a good thing is so important for us. Sadly, we see a lot of distortion of marriage around us. But as we seek to align ourselves and like Nancy said, to conform to his image, this is an area that we continue it's a, it's a stake that has been driven into the ground and is being attacked day by day by day. No matter where we turn, we see it. But to see when God creates something, he creates it good. When we see the issues come in, it is because sin has entered this world. And we're thankful how God, his ways are better. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder, Lord, of the beauty of marriage. Lord, we confess, Lord, our marriages do not always reflect you the way they should. Lord, we ask for your help. Lord, may we see the beauty of marriage, may we uphold it, may we look at it appropriately and to praise you who have created such a good thing. Lord, we confess our our marriages are things that you use to sanctify us and to remind us of our great need. But Lord, continue to show us the the beauty of Christ in our marriages each day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.